the, the children are, are dismissed at this time uh, to head out to Children's Church. Let's uh, read the Word of God, Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 1 through 11. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself uh, alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heavens as he went, behold, Two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Uh, This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we ask that you would speak to us uh, from your word, that you would uh, transform us and and make us to be uh, your witnesses, Lord. And I just pray that uh, the gospel would be Uh, contagious in our hearts, that we would uh, be desirous to share it and that the Holy Spirit would go uh, before us and and prepare hearts to to hear the word of God. Uh, In your name we pray. Amen. I was uh, recently, uh, just actually this past week, I had my college roommate and his wife and their family came over uh, for dinner and we we got to talking and we got to talking about uh, church and my, my roommate is just a regular uh, businessman. He, he went to Lancaster Bible College, but he's not uh, in ministry or, or anything like that. But he was talking about uh, his church that he attends, and the pastor they have uh, actually is a man who grew up in, in Brazil. He's actually uh, from Brazil, and his father uh, actually still lives there, and I think is in his 80s or 90s, as my roommate was sharing. Anyways, being from Brazil and, and being from a, a village where I believe the, uh, a missionary came and, and witness to the father of this man while he was a young boy. And uh, he accepted the gospel and became a pastor. And his children, his son now has become a pastor and is a pastor here in the United States. Uh, being a missionary is, and being missions-minded is, is very important to this pastor. And my roommate was telling me how he's been sharing this uh, at his church and, and encouraging the people to be missions-minded. And, and in the course of doing this, uh, not everyone has responded well, uh, but some people have actually been surprised by it. And, and as my roommate was relaying the story, he met with his pastor for lunch recently. And, and at some point, it wasn't during the lunch, I think it was at, at a church service or something, my roommate is with the, his pastor and uh, a, a sweet, wonderful lady comes up to the pastor and she had been a Christian for, 
for years and, and basically said to, to the pastor, Pastor, you'll have to forgive me. We've never heard this before. Meaning, we've never heard that, that we have to be missionaries. That we have to... Uh, the Great Commission is to, to each one of us that we are to take and share the Gospel. Um, I don't know about you, but uh, I grew up in a church that had a lot of missions conferences. And that really just shocks me to hear that, that someone could, could grow up in an evangelical church and never hear the Great Commission. Never hear that God has sent us out into the world to make disciples. But we do wrestle with that. I wrestle with that. I'm not a good... Uh, I'm not always comfortable just walking up to someone and starting uh, a conversation. And so I have to work at building relationships with people. But I need to regularly remind myself. And this passage has been a great reminder. And as I've been reading through the book of Acts this week, it is a wonderful uh, challenge to each one of us. I am a witness for Jesus Christ. And I want you to just kind of maybe in your own mind, turn that around a little bit. Think that through. I am a witness for Jesus Christ. Uh, each one of us is called to be a witness for Jesus Christ. And, and, and witnessing and sharing the Gospel is something that, that everyone in the church has a hand in. It's not something that we pay uh, the missionaries to do. It's not something that, that just needs to happen in those foreign fields, in those dark places where the, the Gospel has never been. There are people, as you well know, in York County that need to hear the Gospel. And I would even go so far as to say, in, in the country that we have now in America, there are probably people in York County who have never cracked open a Bible. Who have maybe only a passing familiarity with a vague story about some guy named Jesus who was a good man. There may be some people in York County who have never actually heard what happened to Jesus, His death and resurrection. There are certainly people in York County that, that have heard it, but still need to be asked and invited and called to believe it. But we live more and more in a culture that is becoming that there are going to be people around us that don't even know these basic truths of Scripture. I am a witness for Jesus Christ. And, and in line with that, we want to see this morning that God empowers me to be a faithful witness. And so, uh, this passage is all about uh, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that, I've, as I've been reading through Acts this week, that just, uh, again, was drawn to my attention is how active the Holy Spirit was. And so the disciples are, are taking the Gospel and... But it, but it is the Holy Spirit that is doing the work. They are being the faithful witness and the Holy Spirit is, is bringing people to saving faith. If we are going to be evangelists, if we are going to share the Gospel at all, we need to ask to, to plead with the Holy Spirit to be at work. And one of the things we often just need to ask for is courage. I need to ask for courage. Give me the courage to talk to someone. Give me the courage to, to begin to try to share the Gospel with them. And we want to see this morning again that we are witnesses for Jesus Christ. So first this morning, the testimony we witness and proclaim is that Jesus rose from the dead. A central 
to the Gospel. The, the matters of first importance, the non-negotiables when we share the faith, is that Jesus Christ died and rose again. He did not stay dead. It is not just enough to share with them that Jesus Christ died on the cross. Because if He did not rise again from the dead, there is no hope. If He did not rise again from the dead, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, we are still in our sins. So when we take the Gospel to someone, we are taking the good news that Jesus Christ died for sins. But He triumphed up over that. He rose again from the dead. In our passage, Luke is actually starting uh, the second volume of his book. Uh, the Luke who wrote the Gospel of Luke also wrote the book of Acts. In the first book, O Theophilus, the Gospel of Luke, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up and after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Uh, this volume is like the sequel. The book of Acts is the sequel. And uh, if you've ever uh, watched a movie and you find out a sequel is coming and you're on the edge of your seat and you're like, what is volume? Two? What, is, what is this sequel going to be? And half the time in the movie theaters, the sequel is never as good as the original. Well, in this case, uh, the sequel is as good as the original because it is the continuing working of Jesus Christ. He is up in heaven but He is sending out the apostles, the disciples. And He is sending them not alone, but with the Holy Spirit. And, and so, uh, the sequel is as good as the original. That Jesus Christ's work on the cross, all that He did and taught, now becomes effective in the life of the early church. Isn't that what we want in our church? We want what Jesus has done, His death and resurrection, to be effective in the life of our church. The book, the Gospel of Luke, ends uh, this way. Thus it is written, Jesus speaking to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending you the promise of, the, uh, of the, my Father, Upon you, but stay in the city until you you are clothed with power from on high. Then he will lead. Uh, th- then he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So Luke ends. With, with Jesus teaching the disciples something, and he, and he basically emphasizes three points. One, he emphasizes or he assures them of the resurrection. He shows them he really is alive. He eats with them. Second, he explains to them the Scriptures. He says, Jesus the Christ, this is who I am. The Old Testament said that I had to die and rise again. And he explains that to them. And then he promises the Holy Spirit and tells them, you are witnesses and I am sending you out once the Holy Spirit comes. And he takes them to Bethany, the Mount of Olives, and he ascends up. Acts begins right where Luke left off. In fact, there's a little bit of overlap. The, the, the promise of the Spirit is repeated again in the book of Acts. So, so it's, it's like the first movie ends and there's almost like a, a flashback sequence, a reminder at the beginning of the second movie, this is where we're picking up. 
There was the promise of the Holy Spirit and Jesus ascends into heaven. And now we're going to see the outworking. What does it mean that they are sent as witnesses? In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, it says he presented himself alive to them after suffering with many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Uh, two interesting things. One is the, the book of Acts ends and begins with this reference to the kingdom of God. Uh, it begins here saying Jesus explains it to them. It ends with Paul saying that the good news of the kingdom has gone to the Gentiles and they will listen. And there's actually a quote there from Isaiah at the end of Acts. So there's this wonderful little book ends for us. But most importantly, Jesus Christ is giving them proofs. He is saying, I am alive. And one of the things he does in the end of Luke is he, he's in their presence and he says, look at me. I am flesh and blood. I really am alive. And then he says, bring me some food to eat. And so he eats it in their presence so they might know that he is not a ghost. He is not a phantasm. He is real. When we share the gospel with Jesus about Jesus with people, we are telling them that Jesus Christ was real, he came to earth, he died on the cross, and he rose again bodily. This is not some creative story that the disciples came up with because they were so distraught. This is not some sort of vision experience that God gave them that made them feel closer to God. This is the foundation of the Christian faith, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He was there bodily. They saw Him. They touched Him. He is alive today. And He lives in heaven and then also comes into our hearts. When we share the Gospel, we need to be assured Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And this makes all the difference. There are a lot of religions out there. There are a lot of people that will say, when you talk about Christianity, they will say, well, that works well for you. Or I'm glad you found God in this way. And many people today will say, well, you know, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. And we kind of wander through life, each pretending that they find God in their own way, through their own means, through whatever makes them feel good or happy. We know Jesus through His bodily resurrection. This is not merely some internal feeling that each one of us has, but it is something that has happened to us being born again because of what happened to Jesus. He rose again bodily from the dead. So we who believe in the resurrection then are to testify to it. There's a little bit of difference, obviously, between us and the apostles, right? The apostles saw Jesus and touched him and were there and ate with him. So when they go out and and give testimony, they give first-hand testimony, right? They can say, this is what I saw. When when we go out and give testimony, the first-hand testimony that we can give is we can say, look, this is what Jesus did in my life. And that's good to share. And that's a, a good way maybe to start a conversation but, but the other part of the testimony is we are, we are repeating it secondhand, if you will. None of us have seen Jesus Christ bodily, 
but we believe it to be true because the Word of God has testified it to us. You'll remember the Apostle Thomas, doubting Thomas, right? The, uh, Jesus appears to the eleven. He's, Thomas is not there. Well, actually, it would have been ten because Judas is dead. And, and Thomas isn't there. And they go back and they tell Thomas, and, he, and Thomas is like, I am not going to believe it until I can see it with my own eyes and touch these scars in him. And then Jesus appears to him. And Thomas, you can almost imagine his draw dropping and hitting the floor and kind of at a loss for words. And he finally, as Jesus invites him to touch, Thomas just says, my Lord and my God. But Jesus says this, and, and this is, I think, so instructive for us. John chapter 20, verse 29. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet have believed. 1 Peter 1.8 says something similar. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. We have not physically seen the resurrected body of Jesus, but we believe in Him. We trust Him. And we know that these things are real and that they happened and that it makes a difference. That we have been born again through the work of God grounded on the death and the bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that is what we take to other people in our testimony. A Jehovah's Witness, a Buddhist, a Mormon, all of them can come up to you and can say, you know, this is what God or the Spirit has done in my life. Only we can say, Jesus Christ rose bodily from the dead. And that's how we know our experience with Jesus is real. We sing that hymn, You ask me how I know He lives. He lives within my heart. Don't misunderstand that. He certainly lives in heaven in a physical, resurrected body reigning over all things. But the resurrection has worked itself out in your life. And we need to tell people the resurrection is real. That's the message we take. I want to encourage you to to be willing to take this to other people. Be willing uh, to be bold. One of the things in, in the book of Acts is sometimes we think that we are the only people that have ever had trouble sharing the Gospel with others. In the book of Acts, John Mark actually runs away from the ministry that he was going around with Paul and Barnabas because of his fear. In the book of Acts, Paul gets into the Areopagus. The Areopagus uh, was you know, like where the Parthenon is in Athens, and it was the center of, of Greek philosophy, and they would be all there. And Paul gets there, and, and Paul stands up in a crowd of Gentiles and says, Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. And we sometimes think, well, you know, how easy was that for Paul to do it? But people make fun of Paul. People mock him. And, and, and it was just as unusual in that day to go around saying someone rose again from the dead as it is in our day to say to someone, Jesus Christ really did rise again from the dead. It's, it's a fact. It's real. It's history. We have to, to talk about it and say this occurred. 
But that doesn't make it any less difficult to to explain that to someone, to have the courage to, to go up to them. This is where the Holy Spirit comes into play in the book of Acts. And this is where the Holy Spirit comes into play in our life. That the Holy Spirit is power from on high to enable us to do this. So our second point this morning is that in Christ, we become partakers of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. Verse 4, And while staying with them, He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which you heard from me. Uh, now, if you, if you are a note taker, if you like writing things down, I'm going to throw a whole bunch of Bible references at you. I'll read a few of them. But I want to encourage you to just write them down because I want you to see something. And that is the Holy Spirit was promised in the Old Testament. Uh, we were talking about this a little bit in Sunday school and maybe it'll kind of flow, uh, flow together. Um, but the Holy Spirit is a promise of God in the Old Testament. So, a whole bunch of verses. Isaiah 32:15. Uh, it says, "Until the Spirit is poured out upon us on high, and the wilderness becomes a fruitful field, and a fruitful field is deemed a forest." And this is Isaiah talking about what the restoration of the people of God will look like. One of the things, not only does Isaiah prophesy the suffering servant, but one of the prophecies is the Holy Spirit will come. Isaiah 44.3 For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on dry ground. I will pour My Spirit upon your offspring and My blessing on your descendants. Isaiah 59.20 and 21 A Redeemer will come to Zion to, to those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. And, and we know that Redeemer to be Jesus Christ. But look at the next verse, Isaiah 59, 21. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit is upon you, and my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of the mouth and out of the mouth of your offspring and out of the mouths of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time and forevermore. Not only... Is, is the Savior promised, but the Spirit is promised in the Old Testament. And the, the mission to the rest of the world, to the Gentiles, to the unbelievers who are outside of the, the physical lineage of Judah, this mission is promised as well in the Old Testament. Uh, the, the New Testament is not plan B in the plan of God. These things are all laid down in the Old Testament that Jesus would come. In fact, Jesus said in Luke as He's sharing the Word of God that He said that that these things are in the Old Testament that the Christ must suffer and die and then what? The Gospel has to go to the Gentiles. That's in the Old Testament. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. It's the promise of the new heart. I'll just read part of it there where it says, I will put My Spirit within you and cause you to walk in My statutes and be careful to obey My rules. There's also Ezekiel 37, 14. I will put My Spirit in you and you shall live. Ezekiel 39, uh, 29. Again, I will pour out My Spirit. Uh, Joel 20. Uh, Joel chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, which Peter will quote uh, later on in, in Acts chapter 2. Just want you to notice two things. One, there is a unity between the Old and New Testament. There is a connection. These things flow together. Uh, it's like building a Lego house. And the Old Testament 
lays down the first blocks and this, the New Testament plugs right into those blocks that have already been laid. Second, what the Old Testament promises, the work of God, the kingdom of God, salvation, but particularly here in our passage, the promise of the Holy Spirit, the New Testament then shows those to be fulfillment. And let me just connect this to you in two ways. One, how well do you know your Old Testament? When's the last time you read through those portions of the Old Testament? There are some that we know maybe well, maybe like some of the Psalms. But when's the last time you read through Joshua, Genesis, maybe Leviticus, Joel, Isaiah? I totally recognize that some of those passages are hard. Leviticus and Chronicles has some hard sections. But it's the Word of God. He wants you to read it. And by all means, you know, if you read something and you don't understand it, write yourself down a question and come to me on Sunday and if I don't know the answer, we'll, we'll try to figure out what the answer is. But, but it is the Word of God for us. And then second, just consider this. Consider the anticipation that not only the Old Testament saints, but the disciples had for this. For the coming Savior. I mean, we see it in the Gospels, how various people were consider, uh, anticipating it. But they were, they were waiting on bated breath for this promise. And now this fulfillment is at hand. The, the Holy Spirit is going to come and be poured out upon them in a, in a new way. Uh, I don't know if you were like this, but when I was a kid, man, Christmas, you were on like the edge of your seat, you know? You were like counting down the days. And, and Christmas morning, my parents had a rule that, that we could not go into the living room before 7 o'clock on Christmas morning. We could not get them out of bed at 7 o'clock, before 7 o'clock on Christmas morning. We would be up at like, you know, 5 o'clock in the morning, maybe 4 o'clock in the morning, and we would, we would go out to the hall. And there was a spot where, you know, the edge of the wall is here and the hall clearly ends. And if you, you cross that edge, you're in the living room. And we would, I mean, we would be like, on the edge, if there was a line there, if there was some kind of like laser grid, we would have been like up against it, you know, can't go into the living room because that would disobey my parents. But, but that is how excited we were for Christmas. That same kind of excitement was in the disciples waiting for the fulfillment of the Old Testament. We take it for granted sometimes when we ask the Holy Spirit to be at work in our hearts, in our lives. They really were waiting on bated breath for this wonderful pouring out of the Spirit. Of course the Spirit was active in the Old Testament. Of course He was there working in people's lives. But, but there was going to be this new pouring out, this, this new fulfillment, taking it to the next level. And one of the reasons that evangelism came so easy for them is not because it was easy by human means. It's not. But the Spirit was there. The Spirit was at work. And that brought excitement. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to be at work. Verse 5 talks about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Verse 5, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 
Luke ends 24:49 says this, and you will uh, behold, I am sending the promise of the Father upon you, but stay in this city until you are clothed with power from on high. There's there's wonderful imagery here. So to to baptize. Uh, means to immerse, right? When we baptize someone, when John baptized someone, they go completely under the water. Um, I, think, I don't know if I told this story before. I don't have this in my notes, so maybe this is bad to tell. When I, the first time I ever baptized someone as a youth pastor, uh, the first kid I baptized, he was a little bit taller than me, and as I pushed him back into the water... I was not prepared for... What happens when you climb in the bathtub and and the water rises, right? I was not prepared for the water to be pushed out and and kind of go up the side as a wave. So I see the water come, and it comes over the top of his head, and he pushes this way, and as he stands up out of the water, and he's walking up the stairs, he's got a dry spot right on the back of his... Like right on the crown where you would have a bald spot. It's like a little bit of dry... And I'm like in a theological panic here. Uh, did I really immerse him if water did not get on the back of his head? And I said, well, the water went over him, so uh, that, that counts as, as immersion. So next time I baptize them a little slower so that the water gets in, in the back of the hair. Um, the point being that to baptize means to, to immerse. But it is imagery here of then how intense the, the Holy Spirit will be upon them. They, they will be engulfed, if you will, covered with the Holy Spirit. He, he will be in their life in a new way. Luke uses the imagery, it, it's again another analogy, of they are clothed with power on, from on high. And, and, and when you put your clothes on, right, it, it covers your, your body, and, and they fit you, and, it, and you wear it, and it is all around you. The Holy Spirit was going to be in them in a new and powerful way, assuring them of the forgiveness of sins. And, and sometimes then what we do is we, we read through the book of Acts and we say, uh, well, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, there was a lot of tongue stuff going on, and, and how does that look? And we'll talk about that as, in the coming weeks as we, we get to some of that. But sometimes then we begin to think, and you'll encounter people that will say, that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit looks like. And then uh, people will say sometimes, well, not only do you need to get saved, but you need to have a second experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Bible teaches, though, that when I am born again, I am baptized with the Holy Spirit. I am put into Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit comes upon me. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that every believer experiences. So, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 and 13, just as the, the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body through many, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Verse 13, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Every believer shares in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
And that does not mean that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is manifest by tongues and prophecies and all sorts of things. Because it says in Scripture, in 1 Corinthians 12, that different people have different spiritual gifts. But you get a spiritual gift when you become a believer. And we are all one in that body. Because each one of us, when we became a believer, we received the same Holy Spirit. Jesus says to Nicodemus, right? You, you know it well. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then he goes on, he says, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This reference to be born of the water and the Spirit is a reference to Ezekiel 36, where God says, I will pour out my Spirit and you will be washed. It's the new covenant where our sins are put away and forgiven because Jesus died on the cross. Remember when Jesus is celebrating communion, He says, this is the new covenant of My blood? The promise was the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is in us when we become born again. You believe in Jesus Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. So do not fear being a witness. The disciples have to wait The disciples aren't told, okay, now I'm gone, go out into the world. The disciples are told, wait in Jerusalem for the Holy Spirit, then go out. We as believers have the Holy Spirit. And God wants us to be witnesses. And Jesus even tells the disciples in Luke, in Luke chapter 12, He says, when you're dragged before synagogues, uh, before governments, do not worry about what you will say. Do not be anxious, for the Holy Spirit will teach you that very hour what you ought to say. Brothers and sisters, each one of us has the Holy Spirit in us. Do not worry if you cross the street to talk to a neighbor, because the Holy Spirit will teach you what to say. Now, many times, the teaching that He does is is through ordinary means. You, You read your Bible, you think about a Bible verse and, and the Lord uses that to prepare you. Maybe you memorize a Bible verse. But other times, there are these times where you're talking to someone and he, and he brings a Bible verse to your mind. Or you have no clue how you're going to answer and you just quickly say, Lord, give, give me the words to say. And suddenly you find yourself thinking of things that you should say to this person to encourage them, to invite them to believe in Jesus, maybe even just to assure them that Jesus is real, whatever it might be. The Holy Spirit is there. And that brings us really to the last point, that the Holy Spirit empowers us to be witnesses in our world. Look at verses 6, 7, and 8. So when they come together, they ask Him, Lord, will You at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? 
And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times and the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but we will receive but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, I think at this point what the disciples are still looking for, I think they're still looking for a a political manifestation of the kingdom. All right, Jesus, you're here. You're the king. Let's set it up. Let's drive the Romans out. Are you going to establish everything in Israel and in the land? I think biblically those promises are still to come. The disciples were jumping the gun a little bit, if you will. What Jesus tells them to look for is those other fulfillments that we see in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit needs to come and you need to go out and be witnesses. So the fulfillments that we see going on here are first, the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. Second, the Spirit had to come. And then third, there had to be this great Old Te- fulfillment of the Old Testament in the Gospel going to the nations. Again, Luke 24, 7. Uh, Uh, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed uh, in His name to all the nations from Jerusalem. That is part of the thus it is written in the Old Testament. You and I are called to be witnesses because God had a plan to take His name out into the world. Think about this. God is like a missionary. God is a a missionary God who has this desire for the announcement of His name, for, for people everywhere out there in the world to know and hear that God reigns. And how does God reign? How does God rule His creation? One of the things that He does is He sends Jesus Christ to die and rise again. This is what we call the good news, right? The the Gospel. And we're to take it to the world because God wants people everywhere to come to Him. God wants people to come to Him and worship Him. To find out how good He is. To find out how wonderful He is. Have you ever been in a worship service? And, and you just find your heart radiating joy. And you're, you're talking about God. And, and the, the Spirit of God just impresses upon you the, the overwhelming goodness of God. And maybe some of us who are criers, we, we begin to get a little misty-eyed because we go, God is so great. God is so good. We take it for granted that we know those things. You know those things because someone shared the gospel with you. A teacher, a parent, a loved one, a missionary, a pastor. And you came to saving faith because the Holy Spirit worked in you to understand those things. We should have a desire. Because we know who God is, we should have a desire for other people to come and experience that same goodness. There's a book written by... Uh, Jonathan Edwards, he was an early American uh, pastor, missionary. Uh, He wrote a book, The End for Which God Created the World. And the basic point of his his book is that God's purpose in creating the world, God is completely self-sufficient. 
He doesn't need anything. Like, you know, I create a sandwich because I need a sandwich because I'm hungry. God did not need the world. He was enjoying himself just fine before he created everything. But God creates the world out of his goodness so that he can spread his glory into the world. He creates human beings so that they might reflect that image and so that they might know that glory. And of course, we know what happens. Man falls into sin. But God's mission, God's desire is to have that witness taken out into the world still so that people might see the glory of God. You and I are witnesses. And so in this passage, it tells us the disciples are to take uh, the Word of God, they are to take the good news of the Gospel to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. When I was a little kid, we would go to missionary conferences. And, and this is how they would tell us to apply this verse. And, and it's okay, it's, it's not necessarily wrong, but I'm going to try to give you a better way after I tell you this way. So what they would do is they would say, you know, Jerusalem was where the disciples were located, right? Judea and Samaria are the surrounding areas. Then the ends of the earth are really far. So what they would tell you to do at the missions conference is they would say, look at where your church is and, and, and draw like a really small circle, your, your neighborhood. They would say, that's your Jerusalem. That's your immediate city. Then they would say, you know, draw a, a bigger circle. Uh, that's your, your Judean Samaria. And that's where you've got to be concerned that the gospel goes. And, and they're right. The gospel needs to go to all these areas. And then they would say, and, and draw you know, the really big circle, the whole world, and that's where you send the missionaries. So it was sort of like, um, you know, we need to reach the Jerusalem. Uh, maybe we, we get another church over in, in Adams County because that's our Judean Samaria. And they go over there and they reach there. And then we send the missionaries to reach the end of, of the earth. And that's, that's a good application and that's a helpful way to think about it because it reminds us we do need to take the gospel everywhere. But let me give you a slightly different application. And think about it in terms of the historical progression of what God is doing. First, he starts in Jerusalem. Then he sends the disciples out into Judea. Then he sends them out uh, into the rest of the Roman Empire. And and the book of Acts ends in Rome. And Rome is really the center of the world. And it's sort of a way of saying when it gets to Rome, it's like saying, not that the mission is done, but but we are are starting to get to the ends of the earth here. We have have gone and it's just going to go out into the rest of the Roman world and, and the known world after that. Let me suggest to you that we are part of who take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem is, what, like 8,000 miles away or, I don't know, really far away. We, even though we don't feel like it, we live in America and it's civilized and all this, we are, from this perspective, the ends of the earth. Most of us, I think, none of us grew up Jewish. The promises of the gospel is to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. We are part of this wonderful Old Testament fulfillment that people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, whether you're European, American, South American, African, uh, start naming tribes in Africa, we are part of every tongue, tribe, and nation. So that when you cross the street to share the gospel with somebody, You are taking it to the ends of the earth. 
Uh, I don't care if, you know, the guy at your coffee shop is from India and you take the gospel to him, you're taking it to the ends of the earth. If the guy across the street uh, is, is Scot-Irish, you're taking it to the ends of the earth. If he's just a red, if he or she is just a red-blooded American, you're taking it to the ends of the earth. You and I get this wonderful privilege of being part of this plan that God had all the way back in the Old Testament. And when you see someone come to saving faith, they're coming to worship the living God, which is something that the Old Testament says, that that when the Redeemer comes, the the ends of the earth, the nations, will, will stream in to worship God. Our vision as a church needs to be to say, each one of us is a witness. Each one of us takes the gospel to the ends of the earth. We support missionaries. Kim Nob is over in Africa. She's taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. We send out our Aquila and Priscilla couples, and Larry and Eleanor and a few others are, are over at uh, Gettysburg in Adams County planting a church because they're taking the gospel to the ends of the earth. Because there are still lost people in America. You and I have people in our lives that sharing the gospel with them is taking it to the ends of the earth because they have never heard yet about the wonderful good news of this glorious God who sent His Son who died and rose again. I want to leave you with a challenge And that is to ask the Holy Spirit to give you a burden to share the gospel with people. It's something that I need to refresh myself with and pray for in my own life. I put a little gospel prayer card. Uh, I think it says gospel prayer cards, but you each got one card, so forgive my grammar error there. But when I made them, it was on one sheet, so it was gospel prayer cards Write the name of a loved one, a friend, a family member, a neighbor on there. Someone that you know or you're reasonably certain that, you, that they do not know the gospel. And ask the Holy Spirit, before we come up with a program, before we come up with a technique, everything that we see in the book of Acts is the people of God are driven to take the word of God because the spirit of God is in them. Pray for that person. Pray that God would prepare their heart. But pray that God would prepare your heart and my heart. And that we we would be more in tune with sharing the gospel. Let me end with one more personal story. A friend of mine, he, um, they were neighbors of ours in the Poconos. This is about three years ago. His wife was a believer. He was not a believer. And for like two or three weeks, let me just preface this. The story ends well, so he's not going to die. This is not one of these, I didn't share the gospel, he died stories. Uh, It ends well. But for two or three weeks, I had a burden to share the gospel with him. And I kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. So finally walked over one day and took a little track with me and just kind of, we'd had these little chats at the bus stop about our kids and stuff. So I finally knocked on his door just to ask if I could chat with him a few minutes. And I started 
to tell him what I was, you know, like, you know, I'm a pastor and I just really felt like I should talk with you a little bit about this. He had gotten saved two weeks earlier. <laughs> it was amazing. God, but, but it was also like, oh man, I missed it kind of moment. Like, like I was so glad that I finally got the courage to do this, but it reminded me God was working in this guy's life even before I got there. Let that be a challenge to you to take the gospel to someone. Don't, don't do what I did and, and put it off and delay. Because I've occasionally had the thought, if I would have gone there two weeks earlier, maybe God would have used me to lead him to faith. I'm just glad he came to faith, right? That's the end goal. That's the excitement. It's been fun to watch him grow in his faith over the last few years uh, as well. But let that be a challenge to you. When God lays a burden on your heart to take the gospel to someone, take the gospel to them. Even if you don't know what to say, ask the Holy Spirit for the words. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we just ask that you would uh, be at work in our hearts and in our lives. Uh, Lord, we just need the Holy Spirit to be at work in, in, in our hearts. Uh, that, that we believe that you have a desire for the church here to grow, uh, to grow spiritually, to grow numerically, to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. But Lord, we, want, we need to be your witnesses. Just help us to do that. Lord, it is, it is so not a, a natural thing for us to be a witness. But it is a supernatural thing. It comes from the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And so, if, if nothing else today, Lord, we just ask that, that if we don't have this desire, that you would stir this up. That you would be patient with us and, and prod us and poke us in that loving, fatherly way that you would give us a, a passion that we need to have. I pray this for myself, Lord, even as a pastor, that you would give me that passion for the lost, that passion to talk to other people, and even that courage to, to start a conversation, as that does not often come natural to me. But I pray that it would be the work of the Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, take your hymn books again this morning, uh, and we're going to sing... Uh, we have a story to tell to the nations. It's uh, hymn number 296. 296. We have a story to tell to the nations that shall turn their hearts to the right, a story of truth and mercy, a story of peace and light, a story of peace and light, for the darkness shall turn to dawning, and the dawning to noonday bright. For Christ's great kingdom shall come to earth, a kingdom of love and light. We weave a song to be sung to the nations that shall lift their hearts to the Lord. A song that shall conquer evil and shatter the spear and sword. 
and shatter the spear and sword. For the darkness shall turn to dawning, and the dawning to noonday bright. And Christ's great kingdom shall come to earth, a kingdom of love and light.